Okay, so I took the week off from my day job because I felt like I needed a break from my, the breakneck pace of my life. Sometimes I feel like I'm not steering my own life, but like I'm being swept along by strong currents, kind of like whitewater kayaking, something that I've never done before. So I took the past week off to decompress and to have some time to reflect. Because I really don't like that feeling of being a passenger in my own life, like someone else is writing my story. Have you ever felt like that? I saw some head nods. That's good. Um, I felt like I needed this week to pick my head up, look around, and remind myself of what I'm living for. I need to do that every once in a while, look at everything that's going on in my life, and remind myself of what it means to me. Human beings are really good at meaning-making. We take all of the various data points, relationships, and events of our lives, and we place them in a coherent story. Do you know what story your life is part of? One of the primary ways that we make meaning of our lives is by how we mark time. Our calendars tell a story about who we are, the meaning that we make of our lives and what we're living for. But if we're not careful, and if we're not intentional about how we mark time, we can easily be swept along by the strong cultural currents of society around us. If we let it, the broader society will tell us who it believes we are and what story it believes we should live into. And you can be sure that it's a story that will profit them. You can see one of the primary stories that society is telling about us in the way that corporations advertise to us, right? Corporations have a profit calendar. Earlier and earlier each year, stores start decorating and advertising for Halloween. It's all skeletons and ghosts, jack-o'-lanterns and witches on broomsticks. And then as soon as Halloween's over, it switches over immediately to pumpkins and turkeys for Thanksgiving, right? And then what's the day after Thanksgiving? Black Friday. That's the day when retailers make up for their losses all year and get their budgets into the black. And according to this way of marking time, right now, they say that we are in what's called Christmas shopping season. That's what season we're in. Christmas shopping season. If we allow corporations to tell us what story we're a part of, then we are allowing them to tell us who we are. By their calculations, you and I are little more than consumers. People whose primary purpose in life is to work, make money, spend that money, and acquire possessions. So that other people can work, make money, spend that money, and acquire possessions, right? But we don't have to mark time according to the calendars of corporations and their bottom lines. We can take back the steering wheels of our lives. We can tame those cultural currents and make the meaning of our lives that we want them to have. There is an alternative calendar by which we can choose to mark time and make an entirely different meaning to our lives. This Sunday marks the beginning of a new year, a new opportunity to make new meaning of our lives, 
to be caught up in the story of Jesus, the story of God making all things new. How we mark time is incredibly important because how we mark time influences the type of practices that we will participate in, the types of relationships we will form, the way that we remember the past and the way that we anticipate the future. And all of these contribute powerfully to the meaning that we make of our lives and the story that we imagine ourselves a part of. As a community of misfits, we intentionally march to the beat of a different drummer. As a community of misfits, we refuse to conform to the cultural currents that swirl around us. As a community of misfits, we are committed to finding our identity in Jesus. We are not defined by our past, we are not defined by our most painful moments, and we are not merely consumers. We are the body of Christ. We are adopted into the family of God. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. So we mark time differently than the society around us because we are living into a different story. This is what Advent is all about. And it's why I'm excited that we are starting a new teaching series this week. Uh, for the four weeks of Advent, we are going to join with hundreds of other congregations around the world who are conspiring against consumerism in our Christmas celebrations. This series is called Making Christmas Meaningful Again. There are four Sundays in Advent, and there are four preachers on our teaching team, and so we've divided up each Sunday to a different preacher. And the four themes of Advent Conspiracy are worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. So this week I'm kicking off the series with worship fully. So in just a moment I'm going to invite you to read a passage of scripture with me. And then I'll share briefly about three aspects of worshiping fully this Advent. But before we do that, can we pray for the Spirit's illumination? Holy Spirit, draw us close. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. As we open the scriptures, may your word rekindle in us a fire to worship you with our whole selves, to honor you with our thoughts, our words, our deeds, and glorify you with our lives. As we press into the story of Jesus this first Sunday of Advent, would you transform us into a community that resists the powerful currents of this world and surrenders to your way. And all God's people said, Amen. If you have a translation of the Bible, you can turn in it uh, to Romans chapter 12. Yes, Romans. Or you can follow along on the screens behind me. I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of the Lord. So we just concluded a series on Romans. So other than that, 
It may not be obvious what this passage has to do with Advent. But for a lot of people, Romans is this sort of heady, cerebral text, like a theological textbook. That's how I was trained to think about it. But this passage utterly defies that stereotype. In this passage, Paul talks about worship as holistic practice that involves every aspect of ourselves, our whole bodies, our whole selves. If we're going to worship fully this Advent, we're going to have to engage our whole selves. Worship is not just something we do with our minds. Worship isn't just affirming a set of doctrines or singing the words to choruses. Worship, Paul teaches us, is something that we bring our whole selves to, even our bodies. And we give ourselves, we surrender ourselves over to God. I have not always understood worship this way. I've shared, with this, I've shared this with you before, that I came to faith as a teenager. And I came to faith through the uh, Pentecostal charismatic tradition. And in that tradition, I, I learned a lot, and I'm very, very, very grateful for many of the mentors and pastors um, that discipled me during, the, during that season. But I also developed some misunderstandings about worship. One of those misunderstandings was this. I too closely identified worship with music. I would say, worship was really good this, this morning. And what I meant was, the music was really good. And it wasn't until I learned more about church history and more about the various Christian traditions all over the world and throughout the centuries, the beautiful diversity of every branch of the, the tree, that I began to realize how narrow a view that was, how very, very new that perspective was in the, in the history of the church. It's actually a very modern invention, this idea that worship should be so closely associated with music. Instead, traditions around the world and throughout church history have incorporated many different practices into Christian worship, many different types of practices. And it wasn't until years later when uh, I began to attend different kinds of churches that I participated in many of these different practices. And what I learned is that this, everything we do when we gather together as the body of Christ to ascribe worth to God is worship. Every scripture reading, every litany, every baptism, every sermon, every time we come to the Lord's table, all the many practices are worship. And at this stage in my, uh, my life, it's actually become a pet peeve of mine when people use worship synonymously with just the music. That kind of annoys me now. But what happened to me was I started attending this traditional church. And it had what's called a blended service. This is a service that combines traditional practices with contemporary ones. And I was very, very apprehensive of what they called liturgical worship. Remember, I was Pentecostal. So I was afraid that this liturgical practice was going to was going to quench the spirit. There'd be no spirit in this service. But I'll never forget how profound those experiences were. When I participated in the traditional practices, I realized that the Holy Spirit was powerfully at work among us in and through these practices. 
Romans 12 reminds us, us modern people, what we can too easily forget. That we are embodied. That we are not brains in a vat. We are conditioned oftentimes in the West to believe that the process of transformation begins in our minds and ends in our bodies. But Paul presents this backwards. He says, present your bodies or offer your bodies to have your minds renewed. So I had this mentor in New Orleans who said to me once, he said, TC, you think that people think their way into a new way of acting, but I think that people act their way into a new way of thinking. And that got me to reevaluate how I've been approaching worship practices. Have I been approaching them as if we're brains in a vat? How we're all cerebral, all intellectual. When instead, what I've learned is that we are moved by our loves, our deepest loves. And those deepest loves are formed by our habits, our rhythms, the practices in which we participate. Let me prove it to you. When corporations want you to spend lots of money on their products, they don't just send you a list of arguments, a list of facts and statistics about why their product is the best. What do they do? They spend lots and lots of money creating beautiful spaces for you to inhabit, right? And they spend lots and lots of money creating beautiful ads that stimulate your imagination and challenge you with their boldness. When I was in seminary, I worked at Apple Retail. And I can tell you for a fact that every aspect of Apple Retail is designed intentionally to evoke feelings in you, to make you love Apple. I'll never forget that at the Apple training when we were watching videos about Apple, people were crying. My coworkers were crying. They had a, they had a religious experience. <laughs> It really is a cult. <laughs> every font they use, every color, every material, the sensation of opening the packaging is all part of making you love Apple. The Apple store is designed to impress you, to gain your trust. What corporations understand that we often forget is that if you want to change someone's beliefs, you don't argue with them, you change their embodied practices. If you want someone to buy something, you capture their hearts, not just their heads. One of the best people at uh, articulating this, for me at least, has been James K.A. Smith. He's the author of Desiring the Kingdom and You Are What You Love, among other books. And here's an example of what he says about worship. Worship works from the top down, you might say. In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give Him our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes us and molds us top down. Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retains, retrains our hearts. 
Every day, in a thousand subtle little ways that are often imperceptible to us, our loves are being formed by the practices in which we participate and that capture our hearts, often before we're even aware of it. Like the way that we are formed into consumers. We are often formed into consumers without even our knowledge of it. Think about how quickly we are willing to slap down our cash when we see that 50% off sign or free shipping. How did that happen? It's a process. We've been conditioned. Before we're even aware of it, we've been formed into good little individualists who primarily think about our needs, our wants, how unique we are. These ways of viewing ourselves, they aren't pitched to us on a PowerPoint. You know that, right? Nobody has sat down and argued to you. You are an individual. You've soaked it up. You've absorbed it from the practices in which we've participated. Smith writes, Liturgies, whether sacred or secular, shape and constitute our identities by forming our most fundamental desires and our most basic attunement to the world. In short, liturgies make us certain kinds of people. And what defines us is what we love. That word liturgy is just a fancy term for a worship practice. It can take many different forms, an action, a recitation, a song, a posture. But like Smith says, there are even secular liturgies, practices that aren't expressly religious but have the same effect. There are embodied practices all over the world that train our hearts to love that which is not God. And that is our first major challenge to worshiping fully this Advent. It's not that we have to work ourselves up to worship. As human beings, we are good at worshiping things. We are good at making meaning of our lives and placing our lives within a coherent story. We are constantly ascribing worth to things in our lives. We are constantly worshiping. Our biggest challenge is not that we don't worship, it's that we don't have practices that direct our worship towards Jesus. When Jesus is the focus of our worship, Jesus will captivate our hearts. When Jesus' story is told, Jesus will draw us in and catch us up in that story. When Jesus' character is put on display, Jesus will magnetize us. Because Jesus really is beautiful. Jesus really is compelling and challenging mesmerizing and perplexing, awe-inspiring and amazing. Jesus really is worthy of worship. But our challenge is that so few of our practices are designed to focus our hearts and minds on Jesus. And when we don't engage our whole selves in worship practices that center around Jesus, we aren't worshiping fully. Advent is uh, one of our favorite times of the year as a family. It's, it's probably Oshida's favorite time of year. So over the years, we have cultivated several different embodied practices um, that turn our attention towards Jesus. When our kids were, were smaller, and even re more recently, um, we love to take them to churches that had what's called a journey to Bethlehem. Anybody ever been to a journey to Bethlehem? <laughs> TJ raised his hand. Yes, I just told that story. Um, 
There are a few really good ones in Boston, and there was a few cool ones in LA. Um, they are an opportunity for you to walk sort of in the footsteps of the characters in the Jesus story. So there might be Roman soldiers, there might be Elizabeth, there might be, I don't know, whoever else is in the story. John the Baptist, right? As a baby. Um, there are opportunities to uh, talk to these characters, to be part of the story. It's an embodied practice. And oftentimes it really does cause your imagination to uh, imagine what it was like to be there. Imagine what it's like to be in that stable, you know, with a manger, with animals, right? You don't often think about the smells in that stable, right? But you do at Journey to Bethlehem. You smell the smells. And it's a very embodied practice. Over the years, Oshida and I have done different forms of Advent journaling. This is an embodied practice that really focuses the mind and the heart on Jesus. Um, I've written for my blog. I've written physically in a, in a notebook. Um, you could develop a physical practice of journaling or some other practice this Advent. These are just a few examples. We're all wired differently, so I don't know how you're wired. I don't know what your gifts are. Maybe you're a painter, and that would be a very embodied practice to paint something for Advent this year. But this holistic practice that focuses our minds on Jesus is how we worship fully. And the diverse ways that you and I will practice these things is part of the plan. We're supposed to have different ways of experiencing Advent. The body of Christ is a source of encouragement and inspiration for diverse worship practices. So our text this morning in uh, Romans 12, it could be read very individualistically. We could read it like, I offer my body as worship, as a living sacrifice. But we have to keep scripture in context. And remember that we just concluded a series where we talked about over and over again how Paul is writing to a very divided church and how his aim was to unite this church in Jesus. So the very next passage is important for us to hear. Paul goes on to say, For by the grace given to me, I say to each one of you, to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhort exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. As Paul is exhorting these house churches in Rome to present their bodies as living sacrifices, as worship to God, he's simultaneously exhorting them to recognize and honor the diverse gifts among them. To love one another as Christ has loved them. 
So a vital part of our holistic and Christ-centered worship this Advent is that it's done in relationship with others. It's done in the body of Christ. If we're going to worship fully, we've got to worship together. The body of Christ is God's laboratory, God's gymnasium, where we are being formed by God. And it's in and through these relationships that God works by God's Spirit. And it's in and through these relationships that God generates the very worship that God receives as holy and acceptable. So that's our second major challenge to worship full, worshiping fully. Our second major challenge to worshiping fully is that we can't see God. We can't touch God. But we can certainly see our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And they are not perfect like God. So it's much easier for us to love God in the abstract than it is to love our sisters and brothers right in front of us. Isn't that right? 1 John says, We love because God first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their sister or brother are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Advent is a season when we are watching and waiting for the appearing of Jesus. And we know that Jesus has this sneaky habit of showing up where we least expect him, right? So in the weeks of Advent, we ask God to heighten our awareness of his presence, to open our eyes to see what God is doing in us and in the world. The Father may speak to us through the words of friends. Christ may show himself in the face of someone in need. The Spirit may care for us through the kindness of strangers. God may move us when we gather in worship or stir us through art or music, or God may whisper inwardly by the Spirit. So we must stay alert. This Advent, let's worship fully, because we are meaning-making creatures, and how we mark time is very influential on the meaning that we make of our lives, and the story that we imagine ourselves living in. By observing Advent this year, we resist being conformed by those powerful cultural currents that would try to make us into little more than consumers. Instead, we present our whole selves as living sacrifices to God and by directing our meaning-making, worth-ascribing energy to Jesus. To worship fully this year, we worship Jesus together. We recognize that we belong to one another and we need each other to understand the diverse worship practices that are forming us. So, I'm going to conclude this message the only way that is, makes any sense. I'm going to invite you to the central, embodied, Christ-centered, communal practice of the church, the table of our Lord. Let me pray for us, and then as you're able, and yeah, if you could, I'm going to ask Janita to come and play um, Come to the altar? Yeah, that, that's appropriate. Let me pray for us. Holy God, blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. You sent him into the world to satisfy the longings of your people for a Savior, to bring freedom to the captives, 
to establish justice for the oppressed, Jesus came among us as one of us, taking on the lot of the poor, sharing in human suffering. We rejoice that in his death and rising again, you set before us the sure promise of new life, the hope of new creation, where we will sit at table with Christ our host. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and cup, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. May your Spirit make us one in Christ, that we may be with one with one with all who share this meal, united in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out into the world to be the body of Christ. We pray all this through Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, with all glory and honor to you, Almighty God. Amen. <laughs>